And as we do, we're going back to the upper room. And we are probably a couple more times away from finishing John 13, which sets the context for the great message that Christ gives in the 14th through through 17th, really, as He ends in prayer. And we're seeing here the context in which these words in chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, let not your heart be troubled. We're dealing with the troubledness right now, the things that are going to trouble their hearts. And we've dealt with this trauma, and or we have been started to deal with this trauma that's being experienced by the disciples. Uh, the first aspect of that is the betrayal. He says, one of you is going to betray me. You're not all clean. You're not, you're not all saved. One of you is a betrayer. And of course, that immediately, as he dropped that bomb in the middle of the upper room, began this aspect of self-examination. They began to doubt themselves and they began to doubt one another. And they began to question, is it I? And of course, we ended with him revealing to Judas that he knew that it was him. And he says, what you do, do quickly. And Judas went out and it was night. That's where we left off. Now we're going to get to the second aspect of this trauma. This thing that's going to cause him to say, let not your heart be troubled. The second aspect, of course, is I'm going away. And we still feel that today, right? We're still looking for his coming. We're still going to break this bread and take this cup in his absence. But this was traumatic for them. They had not been without their Lord for three and a half years. He was there. And now he says, I'm leaving you. And then after we deal with this second aspect of trauma, so we have the betrayal, we have the departure, and then we're going to have the failure of the disciples himself highlighting Peter, where he says, Peter, before this night's even over, you're going to deny me three times. You're not going to stand like you think you are. That's the three pieces of the puzzle that put these words, let not your heart be troubled, into context. And it was traumatic for the disciples to hear. But today, I'm not going to get through all of this, but I want to talk about the departure of Jesus Christ. And... I want to talk about the glory of Christ, because Christ, you know, we often, like the disciples, do not hear the good news when bad news is being told, right? Uh, Sometimes all we hear is the bad news, and that's kind of what was going on with them, because he says here, 
Uh, I'm, let's go ahead and read verse 31 through um, verse 35. Because he is couching this in terms of a greater glory that is coming. Therefore, when he was gone out, that's Judas, when Judas left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, and hear the compassion in Christ. As he knows, this is traumatic. All of this is trauma to them. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So there's a lot of good news here, but it was crowded out because what is Simon Peter's question? Lord, where are you going? <laughs> and he has given commands. He has talked about this greater glory. And all Peter heard was, I'm leaving. And you're not going to be able to find me. And he goes on in verse 37 and says, why can't I follow you? So we're, we're like these disciples where we get fixated on the... But I want to this morning fixate on how he contextualized his departure. This is in verse 31 and 32. So we're gonna, this gives us the context. 31 and 32 gives us the context if you want to outline it. Verse 33 talks about the reality of his departure. And then verse 34 and 35 give us the command in his absence. That's how we're going to, how I'm outlining it at least. So we're just going to deal with the context. This context into 31 and 35. He says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, that is the Son of Man, God shall also glorify him, the Son of Man, in himself, and shall straightway glorify him, still the Son of Man. So th this is the declaration. This is the context. Jesus is departing. He's not going away. He's, and by the way, he's not going away in defeat. He's going to get nailed to a cross, yes, but he's going to raise from the grave. And he's, not going, he's going away into greater glory. That is the context of his absence. While we celebrate the Lord's table and break the bread shortly, we are celebrating that which gave glory to Jesus Christ. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So, so we're celebrating the very glorious event that Christ is talking about here. And it's, by the way, this is directly related to the betrayal. Um, so... so um, the conjunction, therefore, starts this sentence, therefore, relates this, it's, it's related to what happened in verse 30, what immediately preceded, to it, preceded it. It is indicating that something follows from another necessarily. So, so 31 necessarily follows what happened in verse 30. There is a logical connection between 
when Judas went out to finish his evil betrayal and the now that Christ is talking about. There is a connection between these two. When Judas went out, everything fell into place. Everything is now going to happen according to the determinate counsel of God. And Christ is going to end up being crucified as, 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 uh, as uh, Judas went forth to betray. So, so everything that was happening previously is bringing about the glory of Christ. So he says, therefore, when Judas went out, the dominoes were hit, all of them were falling into place, all of them were falling, going to fall one by one. When Judas went out, Christ was glorified. The beginning of the glorification of Christ was started. Um, and it's necessary fulfillment. In fact, John 17, just a couple chapters later, he's going to pray in verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have, lost, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. What, why did Judas go out? That the scriptures might be fulfilled. So now, now the, first, the first is done. The truths of the departure are now set in motion. Everything is working together for the good of them that love God. The departure of Christ is not a negative point. And the absence of Christ right now is not a negative point. The departure of Christ is not a negative point. It leads to the glory of Christ uh, and it establishes our context. The disciples may not have been ready yet to hear this part. But by the way, they're going to get it later. Uh, but... Peter was just hearing, I'm leaving. And Peter is just hearing, I can't follow right now. But, but this is the greater context. The disciples were not yet ready to hear, but this is the context. I want to give you three things. This is naturally divided in this text. Uh, the first is, now the Son of Man is glorified. The second point is God is glorified in the Son of Man. The third point is that if this is so, and it most certainly is, then the glory will be infinitely shared between God and the Son of Man. Now I want to just march through these points just real quickly. Or not real quickly, I don't know. Are you? I don't know if anybody has anywhere to go. <laughs> the food's downstairs, so... It'll, it'll still be there for us. First, Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Uh, Barnes says, The last deed is done that was necessary to secure the death of the Son of Man. The glory that shall result of, to Him from the, that death, the wonderful success of the gospel, the exaltation of the Messiah, and the public striking attestation of God to Him in the view of the universe is now. This was made sure the second Judas left the room. Well, I mean, it was sure long before then. But as far as, as, far as all those dominoes falling one by one, it was, now, it was now there. Jesus speaks from that human perspective with this word now. And he speaks of it in the aorist passive. He has been glorified as a completed act. He has made, made here a recipient 
of glory in the passive sense by an agent outside of the so how is the son of man glorified well the father is going to glorify him chapter 17 verse 1 jesus prays father the hour is come glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee that's the same idea he is setting forth in in speech to his disciples as he announces this departure the Father has already glorified Him. Go back to chapter 12, verse 28. And this is the future glorification that we're waiting for. Uh, John chapter 20, uh, or 12, verse 28. It says, where uh, Christ prays, Father, glorify Thy name. Then there was a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. This is that greater glory that was coming, where the Father is going to glorify the Son of Man. Uh, and no doubt, this glory. Why did Christ die? Because there was this glory before Him. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, "...who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father on high." So this was part of that joy that was set before Him. Christ, when you're reading this, sounds triumphant, right? You can't read these words without, without getting the, the note of triumph. Now is the Son of Man glorified. He is, he is not depressed. He is not sorrowful. He is joyfully moving forward. He sounds triumphant. This is the captain of our salvation. And by the way, the intimacy of chapter 14, 15, 16, and even the intimacy of the prayer of chapter 17 is now being declared. Or this, this, where he is, he is sharing with them the greater truths that are unfolding. Uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in their, in their, uh, in their uh, commentary uh, mentioned how Judas had no part in these things. They said, These are remarkable, remarkable words plainly imply that up to this moment our Lord had spoken under painful restraint. The presence of the traitor within the little circle of the holiest fellowship on the earth preventing the free and full outpouring of his heart. But now Judas is gone. Now it is the disciples, the true disciples of Christ. And they have this unfolding, and he begins to pour out the glory of all these things. So glory is now the theme. And how does this glory come to us? It comes to us by way of the cross. It comes to us through the manner of shame. It becomes to us through, through betrayal. But betrayal gives way to exaltation. The cross gives way to glory. And this is the theme that Paul or not that John gives here. Let's talk about the glory of the Son of Man. It's mentioned five times in these two verses. Glory. Five times the Son of Man receives glory. And so it's almost, almost like a watershed here. This, we get that word doxology from the word that is used here. Uh, doxazo. It, 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 is, it is to ascribe value upon a thing. In a sense, it is to praise Christ as He ought to be praised, or for Christ to be praised as He ought to be praised. 
And he saw himself in this exalted man. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He saw, his, he saw this glory as, as his right. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Christ did not see himself as exalted. He did. He says he stands here, he stands here as, he is, as everything is now set in motion and says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He, he, did not, he did not say that, it was be, that he was unworthy of this glory. He is using the idea that this is being ascribed to him as it ought to be. The title, what, what is this title, Son of Man? We've never really talked about this. By the way, Jesus Christ called himself the Son of Man more than he did anything else. Ultimately, they, they killed him because because uh, he was called himself the son of God, but he called himself the son of man very often. What is this title, son of man? In fact, that's what somebody once asked him in his ministry. Who is this son of man? What are you talking about? But this is what he consciously called himself. So what is the son of man? Okay, well, it's the title of a prophet. Ezekiel was called the son of man. It's the title that was given to man as he is created in the unfallen nature in Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that you visited him? And Psalm 8. Uh, it is the glory of Christ in his mediator, mediatorial work, uh, where he is the restorer of all things, where he became flesh. He was the son of man in Psalm 8 in Hebrews 2, where he says, where we said we don't see all things put under the, man, the, the feet of the Son of Man whom you visited, but we do see Jesus in Hebrews 2.9. So, so that, that's just a, this an idea, but really what is he talking about? The deeper significance is this. Turn, if you will, to Daniel. Who is the Son of Man? That's in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah... Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel 7 and verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion, and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is that, is that which shall not be destroyed. So this is the Son of Man in the prophecy of, the, of Daniel. This is what Christ is saying he is fulfilling when he is, when he is calling himself the Son of Man. Uh, who is the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7? He is that, which that one which comes from the Ancient of Days and comes again to the Ancient of Days, which is, which is the Father in this instance. Um, uh, this, uh, so there is no doubt that this glory is what Christ referred to because this very night He proclaims that He is the fulfillment. Mark chapter 14, He is standing before the Sanhedrin. He is getting ready to be crucified. And what does he refer, for, refer to that gives context to what we're talking about? Mark 14 and verse 62. Standing before the Sanhedrin, Jesus says, I am. He's answering the question, are you the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the blessed? What does he say? Ego eimi. I am. I, I am. 
uh, and we, are, we talked about this ego a me before, but he said, Jesus says, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. What is he saying? I'm the fulfillment of Daniel 7. I'm the Son of Man. That's, that, 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 that is what he is saying. The one that just washed the feet of the disciples in John 13 is the one who is coming with clouds and set down at the right hand of God. He's glorified. So that is the glorification of the Son. Second, go back to our text. God is glorified in the Son. So we see in the first part, the Son of Man is now glorified. The second part, God is glorified in Him. What does this mean? There are two ways of interpreting this. All right? Now, the preacher is supposed to give one way. I'm going to give you two ways, and you can make up your mind. All right? There's two ways of interpreting this. First, we could say God is meant the Father. And, God, and Christ is saying the Father is glorified in the Son of Man, which, by the way, fits with John 17.1, fits what we, with what we just read in John chapter 12, contextually, uh, in verse 28. The Father is glorified in the accomplishment of the work of redemption. By the way, this is why the Father sent the Son. John 3.16, right? You all know that one? God, that is, i.e., the Father, uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So, so we can read this as the Father. The Father is glorified in the accomplishment of the work resulting in the glory of the Son. Or we might say God is intended to speak of the unity of the Trinity, being glorified by the exaltation of the man Christ Jesus. I love the way some of my Orthodox brothers will say, go your way, the Trinity has saved you. Because <laughs> the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as, as God, all had part in saving us and are all glorified in the Son of Man. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are glorified in Christ. All of deity is glorified. That's that word, ah. Theos, God is glorified in Him. So you could take either one of your way. It's not clear specifically in the context of the of this particular verse. I think the broader context will lead us to God is meaning the Father here, but it doesn't negate the idea that. But regardless, there is an inseparable relationship between Christ and God. You're going to find that all throughout the rest of the New Testament, right? Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the blessed be, or they worship the the one sitting on the throne and they worship the Lamb. There is this inseparable relationship between Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This inseparable relationship between God and Christ continues here. Uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 15, verse 18 and 19. You, you cannot just approach a text like this. 
Think about this text for a second. You can't just approach this text. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in Him. These are the words of Christ. You cannot approach a text like this and walk away believing that Christ is anything less than divine and worthy of worship. The Geneva Bible, the translators had this note. This verse and the one following are the most plain and evident testimony of the divinity of Christ. God was glorified by what happened to that man, Christ Jesus, on Golgotha's hill 2,000 years ago. God was glorified by that. That was the glory of God that, we were wit- that, that they witnessed and we continue to see The gospel writers stress the unified persons and purposes of the Son and Father repeatedly. Ellicott said in his commentary, It was the Father's work too. The glory of the Son of Man and the redemption of the world was the glory of God who gave His only begotten Son that by Him the world might be saved. It was by the cross that the name of God is hallowed. Gill said succinctly, God is glorified in Him. The glory of God was great in the salvation of His elect by the death of Christ. For hereby His wisdom and power, His truth and faithfulness, His justice and holiness, as well as His love, grace and mercy were glorified. We see all of this shed forth on that little hill in Golgotha 2,000 years ago. God was glorified in the Son. The Son of Man was glorified, it says in the expositor's uh, Greek text, uh, by accomplishing the work of his life, by being accepted as the manifestation of God, and by being acknowledged by the Father as having revealed him. And he's going to talk about revealing the Father by what he is doing in the very next chapter. So, we have the first point, the Son of Man was glorified by the cross. We have the second point, God was glorified by what the Son of Man did. And then we have the third point in verse 32. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Now this is a little bit more difficult. What does this mean? It means this. And I'm going to give my interpretation of it, all right? (laughs) Glory will infinitely be shared between God and the Son of Man. We have a conditional statement. Anytime we have an if, we see this is a conditional statement. All right? If God be glorified. Now, this is what in Greek you would call a first-class conditional sentence that affirms truths from other truths already assumed to be true. Now, let me ask you this. Is God glorified in the Son? He just said it was true in the last verse. So is the condition true? Is the if real? Okay, so it is true. And he says, if it is true that God glorified the Son of Man and is glorified in Him, then the consequence of that is certain. So you have the first part, if God be glorified in Him, comma, Then the rest of the sentence is the certain consequence of that condition. Does that make sense? 
if the condition is true, the consequences are true too. So what is true since God is glorified? Well, there's two things. God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Two sure consequences, both in the future passive indicative that follows the truth of God glorifying the Son. First, God will yet glorify the Son of Man. That's clear. He shall also glorify Him in Himself. That's the important part. In Himself. Second, God shall do it immediately. That's all it means. These are the sure consequences of the condition. So what, so what do these consequences mean? I don't want to belabor the point. I, know, I hear your all's stomachs growling, and I want to get you to the food. So I don't want to belabor the point. Just consider it. The first consequence, God will glorify Him in Himself. The glory of the departure that is about to be announced. This is the glory of the departure that's about to be announced. Christ will soon pray, I have glorified you. John 17, 4. Go over there. This is sweet words here. Verse 3 and 4. Or verse 4 and 5. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which, thou, which you gave me to do. And now, O Father... Glorify thou me with thine own self. What kind of glory is this? With the glory which I had with thee when? Before the world was. Where was Christ before he came and was born? as we celebrated Christmas, the Incarnation. Where was Christ before that? He was in the bosom of the Father. How long had He been there? Eternity. Amen? Where is He now? Right back there. Set down at the right hand of, our, of the Father. Set down with Him. So where did Christ go? When he left this earth, he says, I'm going away, but let me tell you where I'm going. If God be glorified in him, if this work is completely finished and God is glorified as the great Savior of all, God will glorify the Son of Man in himself. That's exactly what Christ was. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world ever was. Christ has returned to the Father. This is a wonderful thing. I want you to look at the triumphancy of our Lord. Go to Psalm 24. It's interesting, and I don't know if you ever thought about that. We, 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 we always parse those words, My God, my God, where hast thou, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me ask you this. Where is that found in the Old Testament? Psalm 22. And then what did Christ say next on the cross? Okay, into well, last on the cross. He says, it is, he says my, father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Thank you for 
pointing out the one voice I missed. He says, then it is finished, and then he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Where is that found? Also Psalms, Psalm 32. Now, I've, I, I don't remember who it was. I think it might have been James White that mentioned this. But the idea that when he quoted the very first, uh, very first part of Psalm 22, the very first verse, that he intended to speak of that entire section of Scripture and draw that to the minds of the people. If so, he was bridging a gap between Psalm 22 to Psalm 32 into the minds of the people on the last words of his cross. But we find here in 24 about the victory of Christ in that section. Verse 7 of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Aren't we talking about His glory right now? Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. We've gone from the suffering servant of 22 to the shepherd of 23 to the victorious king of glory, entering now again into the gates of glory itself, victorious. So, this is the glory. He will ascend. And what, what, is, he, what is he saying about the fulfillment of all this? He's gonna, you're going to see the Son of Man set at the right hand of power, of glory, of the blessed, of the Father, and so on, how, how he says it. Uh, he, will be accept, he was accepted for our sakes. We see them stand at the gates of glory. It says, it says open up ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. When he went in, he went in with us. We are set down with him in the heavenly places. We are accepted in the beloved. This, this is all part of that very same thing. Where was he going? He says, I'm going to the Father. So that's the first consequence, sure consequence of what is happening before. He says, this is sure. If this, and this, this is most certainly true, then this. Also, if this, then this as well. The second part. It will happen immediately. He just says here, get back here, John 13, and shall straightway or immediately glorify him. His reward is set before him. It's, it's not something he's going to wait for. It's something that will happen now, he says. He comes back to this word now. There is no longer a delay Christ will give his sacrifice. He will immediately commit himself to the hands of his Father. And his Father will receive him. He will set down with his enemies under his feet. Psalm 110. This, the sorrow that he's getting ready to go through is small. It is. But joy is coming in the morning. 
And it's so with us. We, we learn from our Christ that there is not a delay here. Uh, our light affliction is but a moment, but it's working for us something far greater because that's what His light affliction was but a moment. But God was not delaying. God did not keep His soul in hell. His reward would not be delayed. He saw it before Him. He saw it within His grasp. John Gill said this, This He will do very quickly. He will not leave Him in the grave, nor suffer Him to see corruption. He will raise Him again the third day and give Him glory. This is the expectation of Christ in these words. The Son of Man is now glorified. God is glorified in what the Son of Man has done. And if that is so, and it most certainly is, then God will glorify the Son of Man in Himself. He's going to the Father, going back to the bosom of the Father to enjoy the glory He had with the Father for all time, before time ever was. And it will all happen immediately. The joy was literally set now before Him. And from this context, He's going to come... This is going to be the greater context whereby he says, let not your heart be troubled. Because what is he going to return to in the very next chapter? I'm going away, but I'm coming again. I'm going to make you a place, but I'm coming again. Where I am, you're going to be. That's the glory that we're speaking of. I hope you received something from the Word of God this morning. And now we'll prepare to take the Lord's table.